Well, you might remember that last week we left Joseph and his brothers in a soggy mess and everyone crying at the surprising and unexpected grand reunion. Then the brothers loaded up their wagons with goodies that Joseph and Pharaoh had given them and they hurried back to Cana to fetch their father. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45. So they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him, and he's governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob exclaimed, it must be true, my son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. We now pick up the reading a bit later in Genesis 46. After the long journey with all the brothers and their families, a large group back to Egypt and the region of Goshen that Joseph had said he would let his family, his father and his family settle in. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I am ready to die, since I have seen your face again and I know you are still alive. The peace of the Lord be with us all. In the spring of 2004, four Taylor University students and an employee of the school were killed in an automobile accident. The van they were traveling in was struck by a tractor trailer that had drifted out of its lane into oncoming traffic there in northern Indiana. And two of the students in that accident were named Laura Van Ryan and Whitney Sirak. Whitney was one who did not survive the accident. Whitney's family buried her following a closed casket funeral. And Laura lived, clinging to life, hospitalized with extensive injuries and remained in a coma for weeks. As Laura began to regain consciousness, speaking a few words through the restriction of neck braces and broken facial bones and horrid swelling, her family realized that something else was wrong. Laura's conversations weren't quite right. They weren't making sense. And incredibly, Laura was not Laura at all. The Van Ryan family had been caring for Whitney Carrack the entire time, for almost a month. In a tragic case of misidentification, the Kiraks had buried the wrong daughter. When emergency crews arrived at the accident scene, personal identification purses, wallets were strewn all over the highway. One of the crew mistakenly attached Laura's identification to Whitney. As she was airlifted to the hospital, the two girls, as you can see here, shared a remarkable likeness. They were the same size, both blonde, both very athletic, and their slight differences were masked by the injuries from the accident. 
And the coroner could have avoided this disaster, but he was so concerned for the traumatized family, he told them not to look at the body. The Van Ryans obviously were struck with grief. Their loved one was gone. Their pain was balanced by the Sirach's shock and joy. Having buried their daughter, their granddaughter, their sister, the Sirach's received her back as if from the dead. Whitney's funeral had been attended by more than a thousand people, a funeral that was not required. The tombstone with her name already etched in marble had to be removed from the cemetery. She who was dead was made alive again, and the Van Ryans and the Seraks graciously collaborated on a book a few years ago after this incident entitled Mistaken Identity, and the subtitle tells the story best, Two Families, One Survivor, Unwavering Hope. And it is an incredible read, and I recommend it to you. Another incredible read, the one you have heard today. Jacob could have earned his own Dateline or 2020 special with what happens to him in this scene. News that his son Joseph is in fact not dead, but still alive. He had sent his brother, his Joseph's brothers to Egypt to get grain, and they brought home a long-lost son. Joseph had been dead to Jacob for 22 years, 8,000 days and nights. It wasn't a reunion. It was like a resurrection. Rip up the gravestone. Find that coat of many colors stained with the tears of two decades and send it to the cleaners and let's see if it still fits. The Hebrew text of this breaking news, as you saw today, is more telling than our English translations. The New Living Translation says Jacob was stunned. Well, duh. The original Hebrew says Jacob's heart went cold. Jacob's heart fainted. The news, good though it was, almost killed him. Jacob is over a hundred years old. And this was almost more news than he could take. But Jacob rallied his fluttering heart for the chance at seeing Joseph, his son, One more time. After being separated for so long, nothing was going to stop him from going to Egypt. Not a long, difficult, dusty trip over the desert, riding on a borrowed ox cart. All these years of of waiting and wondering and grieving, he's going to go see his son. All my years of doing this work, and speaking of years, it is my 50th birthday today, and my wife says... 50 just isn't usually this sexy, and she made me wear this shirt today. So, Oh, there's pictures, you sneaky, sneaky sons of whatevers. All these years of doing this kind of work, I have been forever astounded at the formidable strength of the old or the sick as death approaches. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Keeping vigil, you watch the vital signs decline, 
and breathing grows shallow, and hands are held, and brows are wiped, and prayers are made, and tears are shed, and still, somehow, sometimes, a loved one can just keep clinging to life when you wonder, where does that come from, that strength, when they're so used up? And in many cases, I have seen that the sufferer is waiting, not for death, but for a special someone to arrive. I've lost count of how many times I've seen this. A beloved daughter at long last enters the hospital room. A son crosses multiple time zones to finally get to the bedside. A childhood friend or a long friend arrives for a closing visit. And it is then and only then that that Herculean grip can be released. And they feel like their business is done. Because they had to have this reunion, this union again, one more time before they go. Tyron Edwards says this, Every parting is a form of death, and every reunion is a type of heaven. Every parting is a form of death, every reunion is a type of heaven. What Jacob is looking for when he gets into that ox cart to travel across the desert to see Joseph one more time is a little bit of heaven to be put back together. You know, as a child growing up in the mountains of North Georgia, heaven was a, if, if, if the preacher wasn't preaching about hell, he was preaching about heaven. Anybody know what I'm saying here? And uh, when he preached about heaven, there were old Men and women in my congregation, little skinny men in overalls and little blue-haired ladies in floral dresses. And, and they started talking about heaven as if they had actually been there. And it wouldn't take long where someone is singing an old gospel song or the preacher's preaching about heaven and hands start being raised and people start crying. And, and if, it, if the Spirit was really moving... You know, in the Baptist church, I don't know if y'all had this, that we had a few shouters. Do you know what that, that is? They'd shout out in the middle of the service, and the preacher would startle, and little kids like me would about have heart failure, wondering what was going on. And it was all this movement of joy, this, this hoped-for reunion. What they wanted was not streets of gold and pearly gates. Who really cares about that? What they wanted was to see and to be with someone who had already left. Years ago, I was in this coffee shop, and uh, I love coffee shops. Uh, Quarantine restrictions have been very tolerable for me. I've, I've actually enjoyed a quieter life. But sitting in a coffee shop has been one of the things that I have missed. Uh, I miss it, miss it a lot. And I was sitting there one day and uh, enjoying my coffee and typing away on my little laptop, and these two guys plant themselves down right beside me, uh, which now seems in quarantine times very strange that they would sit that close to me. And they start talking about, you know, their golf game and their work, things like that, and it doesn't take them long that they turn to the sorry state of the world. And this was years ago. I'd like to know what they think about 2020 so far. 
And they sort of concluded this conversation by saying something like, well, I just wish Jesus would come back and get us out of here and everybody else can sort it out. Now, <laughs> we laugh, but we have those feelings sometimes. But it really left me cold. I've never liked this kind of thinking that Jesus is going to show up like, like it's a hurricane and he's just going to pluck a few people off the roofs as the water rises and all everybody else, well, you're just on your own. But that's sort of the mentality that we, that we, we take sometimes. And it's really hard to care about the world if you want to see it thrown away. If you think the best I can do is just get out of here. Sort of like, you know, moving to the suburbs once the city schools have gone to pot. Which is what we often do. Oh, the city's bad, get away from it. This world's bad, maybe Jesus will just come and take me out of it. If you think that heaven is only someplace far away over the rainbow, you can have that attitude. But if you go back and think about those old people in the churches I grew up in, you think about Jacob and Joseph, you think about your own heart. When you speak about heaven, what is it that you want? It's not escapism, because people that talk most about heaven have endured hardships of poverty and war and sickness and loss. Heaven might be a step up, sure, an eternal reprieve from the madness of the world, but it is not an escape hatch that we want. It is reunion, it is desire for things to be as they should be. That's the drive that pushes us toward eternity. I've sat on some information for the last few weeks, and I might get in trouble by sharing it now, but our own dear, sweet Hilda McDonald has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. 95 years young. She's at peace. And when I last spoke to her, she said, Ronnie, I keep this little shrine in my bedroom, and the ashes of my mother are there, the ashes of my daughter are there, and probably the ashes of a few boyfriends and husbands, and everyone she's outlived. And she said, I just go by it every day and say, I'll see y'all in a little while. Do you think Hilda is concerned about pearly gates, crowns, angels? No. What is it she is after? After nearly a century on this earth? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If that's true, and once you lay up those treasures somewhere else, your heart is already bending in that direction. It's about reunion. It's about things being as they should be. In large part, heaven 
is that place where loved ones are reunited, where relationships are restored, where all that has gone wrong between people is made right. Heaven is the final destination of all creation, all of creation. As God will make everything as he first created it, it will all be very good. Who cannot long for a place like that? Who cannot find themselves drawn to that? But why wait? This is not the place to disgorge it, but I wrote a whole book about this very thing called How Far is Heaven? And the entire premise is that heaven is not just a destination out there somewhere. It is a way of being in the world here and now. The good news is not just that Jesus removes us from earth and takes us to heaven. The good news is that Jesus infuses us with heaven here on earth. So back to that quote by Tyron Edwards, every parting is a form of death, every reunion is a type of heaven. When things are put together as they should be, when there is union and peace, when there is justice and restoration, when there is liberation and healing, when there is reconciliation and what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. More than peace, but life as it should be. The highest possible state of being. That is heaven, whether it be now or later. And that becomes our vocation. That's what we work for. That's what we try to imagine and to implement. We can't quit on this world because we're moving on off to another one. Step by step, issue by issue, day by day, person by person, we attempt to embody what we have so often prayed for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Certainly today's talk is not delivered in a vacuum. Cindy and I have been talking about heaven a lot in recent days. Her dad, George Cooper, her rock, her first love, her constant source of support and understanding for the first half of her life is in the active stage of dying. He is with hospice and has been for the last week after several years of progressive dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And we were able to be with him at his bedside this week before he slipped into the quietest stages of dying. His mind, you know, really all minds, are, are they're just miraculous, even those with Alzheimer's, about what's going on up there. He would come, he would go, he would be serving patrons at the soda, at the soda shop back in Jersey City, New Jersey, where he grew up. He'd be fishing in the Gulf of Mexico in the next minute trying to get his boat on a trailer. He was down in the woods with the family dog, Gumbo. He blurted out two or three sentences in Polish, a language he hasn't spoken since he was a little boy and his grandparents were still alive. Fascinating. We talked about the Atlanta Braves, who are playing Game 7 to go to the World Series tonight. Talked about his children and his grandchildren, his grandchildren waving his hand vaguely and saying, oh, I vaguely remember them. It's precious. And then he would have these moments of instant clarity. He looked Cindy right in the eyes at one point, turned to her, 
Just the three of us in the room. And with that steady, deep voice that he had 20 years ago, he looks right at her and he says, I love you, kid, and I wouldn't have it any other way than right now. That's how it should be. And for her part, Cindy, who is always emotional and who leaks a lot from her face, she told me later, I was there when I was supposed to be there. Because we laughed and we told stories, I got to feed him his favorite foods, which any southern woman worth her salt would want to do that. I got to tell him about my own kids. He is at peace. He has no pain. What else could I ask for? Now, is that heaven in the final sense of the word? No. But how is that not a part of it? How is that not a foreshadowing of the final state of affairs? Hunger and thirst satisfied. Reunion and togetherness. Pain alleviated. Peacefulness. Love filling up every molecule of the room. Cheering for the Atlanta Braves. Because they'd probably be in heaven before any team from Georgia wins anything. Dreaming of old times. Good dogs. Happy children, thriving grandchildren, having your favorite drink from the soda fountain. Sign me up for that. I'll take it. Keep the celestial city. I don't need it. Give me life as it should be. That ought to be heaven enough for anybody. And so it is that when we participate in and facilitate and cultivate an environment where love and life is as it should be, heaven comes to earth. And having done all we can for that, to be the end result of our lives, we can reach the end of those lives knowing that we lived out the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. From Henry David Thoreau. What is this heaven which we expect? Are we prepared now? Thus live in the present. Launch yourself on every wave. Find eternity in each moment. There is no other land. There is no other life. There is only one path to heaven. On earth, we call it love.